So if you don't know me, my name's Kevin. Uh, I'm one of the elders here. Uh, I'm, I'm the short timer, right? So uh, the announcement came out a couple weeks ago that my family and I are moving to North Carolina. We hate it. We hate to leave you guys, uh, but that is what God has planned for us in this time. So it's going to be my pleasure and my extreme nervous stomach to to uh, preach to you guys uh, for one of the last times this morning. So if you would, open your Bibles up to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to be, our main text for this morning is going to be Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so, by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So if you look in Hebrews, the, the chapter right before it, chapter 11, uh, sets this up. So if you notice, the first word of this chapter is therefore. When you see therefore in the Bible, that automa automatically makes you think, well, therefore what? So you go back and you read. And really what chapter 11 is talking about is the faith of the saints of the Old Testament. They, where they were, were not only looking for a city whose architect and builder was God, but to also a person, they were looking for the Messiah, Jesus Christ. By faith, they saw Christ. This was the vision of Christ that motivated them to endure. In Hebrews chapter 11, we see that Moses left Egypt, having seen him, him who is invisible. If we are to endure to the end, we too must be looking to the unseen Christ. Now, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That is the definition of faith, and it is put right there in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It's the assurance of things hoped for. It's also the conviction of things not seen. In chapter 11 of Hebrews, the apostle describes several Old Testament saints, how they had faith, and how they lived that faith. Starts off, it's talking about Abel, how, how he had faith when he offered more, uh, more acceptable sacrifice than his brother Cain. Then it talks about Enoch. Enoch had so much faith, it pleased God, and Enoch was taken and didn't see death. So this man was actually taken up, didn't die. It talks about Noah, how Noah had faith and constructed an ark. Can you imagine how much faith it takes? You, you, God comes to you, gives you convictions, like, hey, I'm going to send a flood. I want you to build an enormous boat. And you're like, all right, boat, how big? Once you fit every animal on it and your family, is that cool? You know, the amount of faith it would take to build something that massive. You can go online. There, there has been, been people that have built these things that are full scale. They're enormous. They're like the size of an a old wooden cruise liner. This thing's massive. It also talks about Abraham, which we talked about last week. Abraham had faith when he offered up his son Isaac. The amount of faith it took to go up to a, on a mountain with, with a bundle of wood build an altar, lay your son on it, having faith that God would provide a sacrifice. That's enormous. Now Isaac, Isaac also showed faith when he invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. Jacob blessed each of the sons of Joseph through faith. And then Moses, Moses through faith, put aside the riches of Egypt. He was adopted as a prince in Egypt. Put all that aside to lead, God, to lead God's people out of Egypt. Now, 
That brings us to chapter 12. And every Christian must run in the race. So if you're a Christian, you're in a race. It says in in verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, these witnesses that were talked about in chapter 11, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The imagery created here by the apostle is a race. So think of, uh, you know, an old race in a coliseum. Think of the Olympics. So if you're thinking of that, you've got the imagery of a race in the old coliseum in Rome. Those Old Testament saints have, have finished their race. They've already ran it. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and so many others have already finished their race. They saw the finish line at death and crossed it in faith. Multitudes have been part of the same race. If you're a Christian, if you're counted as one of those, you're racing that race, and eventually you will finish it. The great cloud of witnesses that it talks about here is growing all the time. As believers, one by one, cross the finish line, and they are taking their place in that great cloud of witnesses. This group is like a roaring crowd at the end of a track meet. And they not only left us their example, but they're also literally cheering for us at the end. The sound is deafening as each believer today finishes that race. Now, I myself am a Christian. Believe it or not, yeah, I am. That's, I'm up here today, and, and I, I have a race, and it began at some point. And uh, we, we actually talk about that. That's your testimony, right? So when somebody comes up and they give their testimony, they're basically telling you, what their race has been thus far. So uh, I want to share that with you guys this morning. My race started when I was 10 years old. Uh, My parents were divorced, and I would spend every other weekend with my dad. On those weekends, we would attend this little country church in Athens, Tennessee called Wildwood Baptist Church. Uh, One Sunday, a guest evangelist came to speak to the church, and his name was James King which the humor on that was not lost on me as a 10-year-old. James King, King James, get it? It's hilarious, right? So uh, he came to our Sunday school class, and he gave a gospel presentation. Very simple, very Southern Baptist evangelical uh, gospel presentation. And while listening to it, I I knew that I'd heard it before. I mean, I, I grew up in church. I was there every Sunday. We would go to First Baptist Church with my mom on Sunday, and then we would go to Wildwood Baptist Church with my dad the next Sunday, right? So I was in Sunday school all the time. I'd listened to multiple sermons. I'd been elbowed by my mom for talking in church uh, and not listening. I was giving crayons. You know the, the, the drill, right? But this Sunday, something was different. Uh, this Sunday, the, the message actually convicted me. Uh, I finally came to an understanding of what my sin was, and how it separated me from God. So after class, I stuck around, and Mr. King talked, talked with me, and we prayed. Uh, at that moment, I knew my life had changed. I was not sure how or why, but I knew that I was different. So being a 10-year-old, being excited with news, something happened. Next day at school, Monday morning, man, I told everybody, everybody. Uh, some looked at me like I was crazy. 
So, you know, sixth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, like, hey, I got saved at church. And they were like, all right, you got saved at church. Good job. Uh, some, some were, you know, just kind of shrugged it off. But there were others, others in, the, in, in my class that were Christians. And it was interesting. They reacted completely different. They were excited. They, even though they didn't know it, I mean, being a 10-year-old, they, they were excited that my, I'd started my race. Now, fast forward a few years. Um, I'm now a freshman in high school. I still go to church every Sunday and Wednesday. But um, I'm not really running my race as I should. There, there seems to be more, more hurdles uh, than I can handle. And that's when I get involved in youth group. And I'd actually been, began to be discipled through this youth group. It's an interesting time for me. So actually being able to go to a youth group and talk with people uh, both older and younger, talk to the youth pastor, and, and really get to be discipled. Up until this point, it was, yeah, there's Sunday school. Yes, I'm running my race, but I'm running it pretty slow. There's hurdles. I'm tripping over them. But once you get to be discipled, you really understand how to run your race with effectiveness. It was an interesting time while I'm learning more and more what it means to follow Christ. And at this time, I, I, I rededicated my life to following Jesus. <laughs> In my studying the Bible, I focused and honed in on the Great Commission. I don't know why, but it, it, was, it, was, it was almost providential. I, I, was, I was honing in like, you need to take this message to everybody. Now, I don't know what God had planned for me, but I, I knew that I needed to do something to ensure that I could tell others about Jesus. Now, my senior year in high school, I'm at the point where I need to make a decision. Uh, what do I do next? Well, I have no idea. I'm a senior in high school, 17, 18 years old. I was a mediocre student. I mean, really didn't try that hard, really didn't study, just kind of passed my grades. I, did, I, I really had no idea what I was going to do. Uh, I loved music. I was in a few bands in high school, so we played in some bands. I played in the youth uh, praise team. Um, I knew that I wasn't talented enough to pursue that as a career. And I'd even thought about joining the military. Had it not been for me being colorblind, I probably would have. <laughs> then one Sunday uh, at First Baptist Church in Athens, Dr. Carlos Peterson preached a sermon that, that really changed my path. Uh, he preached on Timothy. And in this passage, it stressed on how Timothy was young and not looking down on you because you're young. You can actually do a lot of things even though you're young and you're, you're new in this. So Timothy was being used and being brought up by Paul to be um, an evangelist and a minister. So I asked myself and prayed. I was like, is this what God has planned for me? Did, did he, was he planning to make me a, a full-time minister, a pastor? A few weeks later, I got some information in the mail from this tiny little college in Graceville, Florida, called uh, Florida Baptist Theological College at the time. It's now uh, BCF, or Baptist College of Florida. Um, they had sent me this packet, uh, and in the packet it had an application, so it outlined the campus, you know, it had the map, it had the classes and the majors, and then it had an application. And I was like, well, this seems cool. As good as any, I can, I can put this application in. Um, we actually went down to visit the campus, um, and while visiting, I asked the, the tour guide, one of the staff, I was like, so how did you guys get my information? And they were like, well, 
I don't know. What did you, <laughs> what, what are you talking about? And I was like, well, I got this packet in the mail. Had, you know, this brochure is a big, nice book, and it had this application in it. And they're like, yeah, we don't really send those out unless you ask for them. So I, to this day, I have no idea how I got that packet in the mail. I don't know if it was somebody at my church that sent it. I don't know how it happened, but it was God's providence that I got it. Um, so to make a long story even longer, I ended up enrolling there, <coughs> and I attended for four semesters. So at this time, I was in a long-distance relationship with my wife, Rebecca, my now wife, Rebecca. Uh, we had started dating just before the end of my senior year in school. Uh, with me going, uh, going to school in Florida, college in Florida, and her in Tennessee, well, that made things a little difficult. So me being uh, a crazy 18, 19-year-old, I drove back every weekend to see her. So, <laughs> you know, eight hours one way, back and forth. School would end on Friday. Man, I was up there Friday night by midnight, and then I'd leave Sunday right after church and, and haul right back down to college. So I, I put, I think, 60,000 miles on that Jeep in, in a couple of years. But uh, it, it was good. It was, it was a great time. Um, you know, th th it was a great time in my life, but it was challenging. I was learning more about the scripture than ever before, so the professors there at uh, FBTC were amazing. I was making friends, and we were discipling each other. So it wasn't just that I was being discipled now. We were actually in small groups, dorm small groups, and we were discipling each other. I was dating my future wife. That was awesome. And then the thing that became more and more clear each semester, though, was that I wasn't called into full-time ministry. Um, I, I didn't necessarily have the heart to be a full-time minister. Um, at the point that point in my life, I, I couldn't speak more than three sentences in a row without stumbling and fumbling and bumbling. And um, so it turns out, you know, that, that may not have been God's plan for me to be a full-time minister, but he definitely had a plan for me to be there. Um, that, that changed the course of, of my life and my wife's life. So after four semesters of, running, of, of going to college there, uh, I ran out of money. Uh, I was paying for my own way, and college is expensive. That gave me a good excuse to move back home. So I moved back to Tennessee, and I got a job. Uh, this job helped me to get enough money to buy this, this little, uh, it's a stone. It's very shiny for my wife, right? <clears throat> they, they expect those things. But uh, I was able to buy that ring, and by 2002, I was married. It was an amazing time. The first few years of marriage were a complete blur, an absolute blur. I was working two jobs, so seven days a week. Rebecca was going to school full-time, and eventually she graduated with her bachelor's and wanted to get her master's and become a physician assistant. I was like, awesome, how do we do that? So she starts looking at schools. She looks at uh, uh, Emory University. She looks at all these other ones. And then she finds one, this little tiny Nazarene University in Nashville, um, and that's what led us here. I mean, that's what led us to Nashville. So we, we moved. Uh, I had no job. Uh, she had no job. We had to find an apartment with what little savings we had managed to scrounge up. We found that. And uh, she went to school there uh, at uh, Trevecca to get her master's. <clears throat> again, I was able, God blessed me, and I was able to work two jobs again. So I was working at Dell on the weekends. I was working landscaping during the week, seven days a week trying to help support us, make sure we have a house and, and a place to live. Actually, there's an apartment, a little tiny 
you know, one room plus another room plus a, a kitchen that was the size of a, a person's bathroom. I mean, it was tiny. You couldn't, couldn't hardly turn around for, for hitting somebody in there. But the Lord blessed us with it. Um, started working at Dell where I found that I had um, natural technical ability, but, but in God's providence, again, that job didn't last. Uh, they closed the facility, and I was laid off. <clears throat> so this was just after my wife had graduated college um, and started work as a PA. And we had just had our son, Gabriel. So you're talking about a scary time in our life. Uh, I'm used to working two jobs, being the sole provider. My wife just graduates. It's awesome. She's working in Cookville. She's working in the ER. Uh, we're having a son, and the husband doesn't have a job, right? So it gets scary. <laughs> well, uh, we prayed about it, and Rebecca comes to me. She's like, I really think you need to go back to school. I really think you need to just let me. You've taken care of me for, for several years I have a great job. Let me take care of you. We'll, we'll make adjustments. We'll make cuts, and we'll get it done. So that's what I did. Um, I, I enrolled back in college and uh, started working on my, my bachelor of science degree in mechanical engineering. At this time, also, we were getting more, invo more involved in church. So we had moved from Nashville to Lebanon. Uh, when we moved to Lebanon, we started going to First Baptist Church there in Lebanon. Um, and it just it didn't... It, it was okay, but it just didn't seem like we fit there, right? It was, we were the young couple at the time. Um, our Sunday school group was more, uh, they're probably, the youngest couple close to us was probably 15 years, our elder. So it was, there was kind of an age gap there. So we prayed about it. We started looking for another church, and then we found the Journey Church in Lebanon, and it was, it was a small church at the time. They had just moved into the building uh, that they're in currently. Uh, there were probably 200 people there every Sunday at the time. Now they're up over, well over 1,000. Um, but we start to get involved with that church. Uh, we started small groups in our home, which was new for us. So we're, we're used to the old Southern Baptist Sunday school, you know, Sunday and Wednesday. But uh, now we've got people coming into our home and I'm leading a small group. So the Lord, even though I'm not called into full-time ministry, he's still guiding me into a ministry position. So my, my race is being guided, right? Uh, next thing I know, uh, the worship leader there, Robbie Chevron, tells me that they are going to be opening up a campus in Hartsville, Tennessee. And my first response was, where is that? I have never been here. You know, I'd never, nothing would take me to Hartsville unless somebody asked me to go up there, right? So I, I didn't even know this place existed. Be really honest, I'm sorry. But being, being from East Tennessee, I knew Nashville and I knew Lebanon. I knew of Gallatin and, and Murfreesboro, but never really went there except for, you know, some school stuff. And then he says, Hartsville. I'm like, okay, yeah, that's, that's interesting. Um, and then he asked me if I would serve on the praise team there. And we we're like, oh okay, um, let, let's pray about it. So my wife and I prayed about it. And it seemed like we could try it out for a while, you know, try it. Yeah, we'll try that out for a minute. Uh, little did we know God had bigger plans. Uh, and we've been here ever since. I, I mean, unless barring some, some disaster, sickness, or us traveling to see family, we, we haven't missed a Sunday. Uh, God has really given us a passion for this campus and this people. Now, after I graduated, God blessed me with a job at Mars, not Mars the planet, uh, Mars the, camp, uh, the candy and pet food company. 
uh, that allowed us to uh, actually move closer to church. So we were living in Lebanon at the time, coming here every Sunday. It was like a 30, 35-minute drive. And we were like, you know what? We could get more involved with the people of Hartsville if I'm if we move closer. So we started looking. And the Lord blessed us with a, with a house there in Castalian Springs. It's, it's extremely close. And that, that's where we are now. But uh, the same job that allowed us to be in Castalian Springs is now taking us to North Carolina. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen there, but we have faith uh, that God has a plan. Uh, God had a plan for me as a 10-year-old boy. He had a plan uh, when he put the people in my life to help disciple me in high school. Uh, God had a plan when he allowed me to meet my wife, Rebecca. God had a plan when I moved to that tiny, tiny Florida town. And God had a plan when I had to work two jobs. He had a plan when the plant closed. God had a plan when we found the journey. He had a plan when we started attending in Hartsville, and he has a plan now. We don't know what the details of his plan are. We never do. But we, all, we have, all, we, all we can do is have faith, and we can run the race that's been put before us. So like I said, my race has not always been an easy one. There have been times when I've stumbled and many times of hurt and pain. But looking back on where I have been, I see God's hand in every single bit of it. There's no such thing as a coincidence. It's only God's providence. So the details of your race are obviously different than mine. We all have our own. They're not the same. They have the same finish line, but they are not the same race. We, know, we may not know where the race will take us, but we all know where it ends. Now, getting back to the text, in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 12, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by that great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So the apostle challenges believers with two great strategies for the Christian life. Let us lay aside every weight and sin. That's number one. A Christian's life is an endurance race. It is not a sprint. One key to finishing well is to become as aerodynamic as possible. Runners wear lightweight clothing and light shoes, right? If you see runners in the Olympics, they're not wearing big heavy overcoats. They're not wearing big weight belts. They're not wearing huge weight vests. They are light and fast. A marathon runner would be foolish to drag behind him a 50-pound weight, right? So it would slow him down tremendously and wear him out prematurely, and the runner may not even finish the race if you're dragging around this, this weight. We can compare that, that weight to sin. In the same way that dragging a weight behind us while running slows us down, so, so does sin. It keeps us from performing as we should. His advice? Cut it loose. Lay aside every weight and sin. Second part he points out here is let us run the race with endurance. We are to run the race and set aside sin. Also, in the first verse, he tells us to run with endurance the race that's set before us. In other words, just like Moses had a race to run and Joseph had his race, we too have ours. Ours isn't a race that is like anybody else's. Our race, as with everyone else's, is a unique race. Everyone's life is different. God has placed each 
of us on a different course. My race is not like yours. Some of the hurdles that I face along the way may not be the same as your hurdles. However, the finish line and the strategy are the same. Lay aside the sin and look to the finish line. You can't run forward if you're always looking back. And that is exactly what Matt was talking about with the forward campaign this morning. We cannot move forward as a church if we're always looking back. You have to put your, your, your eyes on the goal and run full steam ahead. Now, Paul's strategy was much the same. If you go into the book of Philippians, and I think it'll be on the screen behind me, um, Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, Paul writes, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus made it his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, so forgetting what is behind me, and straining forward to what lies ahead, focusing on what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God and Jesus Christ. So put away all that stuff that's behind you. Throw away that way to sin. Focus on the prize. Focus on the finish line. Now in Romans, Paul also shows us how to cut loose the sin that entangles us and weighs us down. By faith, we are to realize that we are dead to sin. Uh, Romans chapter 6, 6 4 through 14 says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. <laughs> For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that, he will also, that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin. Once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. We are dead to sin and we are alive to God in Jesus Christ. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make your bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. So put away the sin. Put all your hope in Jesus. He died to put away sin and death. And if you are in Christ, you have died with Christ, right? <laughs> sin will have no dominion over you. Also realize that laying aside sin is a lifelong process. It is not a one and done. We're hoarders of sin. <clears throat> so although, yes, we are saved, God cannot snatch us, from, snatch us from our hand. There's this thing called sanctification where we are continually sanctified and continually laying aside this sin. And if we're hoarders of sin, uh, well, hoarders make poor athletes, right? I don't know if you guys have seen that show Hoarders on TLC or whatever it is. I'm not sure any of those would run a marathon, those people in the, the big hoarder category. So if you don't believe me, just watch it and you'll see. But... Uh, you know, all, all that stuff weighs us down. We need to let go of all things that hinder us from running the race. 
Now, there are some that try to look like athletes uh, by imposing religion on themselves. Uh, some try to look like athletes by false humil humility or piousness. However, those self-efforts are of no value when seeking to lay aside sin. So if you're trying to do it yourself, if you're not looking to Christ to lay aside your sin, you're not going to be able to do it on your own. Exercising faith in Christ is the only way. Uh, as we seek Christ and learn, uh, and learn him and his ways and love him more and more, our affections for Christ rise. He becomes our treasure and not our sin. Letting go of the weight of sin is easier if we love Christ more than we love sin. If we love Christ more than we love ourselves, it becomes a lot easier. Sin has this trait, though, and it causes us to become attached to it. It's sticky. It's like a drug addiction. So why can't the addict stop on their own without some type of intervention? Well, they find some kind of security and fulfillment in feeding that addiction. Their body becomes accustomed to it. They get used to it. They get used to the feeling, and then they crave it. They crave the initial feeling, but they're always unsatisfied and return over and over and over and over again to find something that, that will, will never, never satisfy that craving. Sin works the same way. Why can't a gambler stop losing his paycheck every week? Well, in some twisted way, that idol that he thought he could control at first is now controlling him because, you know, he finds some fulfillment in the sin. They tell themselves that, that it only takes one time of winning the lottery to recover, recover all that loss. Those kinds of lies are the way sin works. If you want to be free from sin, you must see Christ and understand that in him all the benefits of the sin will be met and, and infinitely more. So basically, that craving, that whole, that, that craving that you have in your heart, if, if, that you're trying to fill with all these other things, Christ will fill that plus some. He will fill it until it is full and overflows. The person who plays the lottery in an addictive way seeks riches and, and can stop and cut it loose when they discover the riches of Christ. A drug addict can stop when they discover the glory of Christ and desires him more than the high or the rush that the drug provides. So we can cut this stuff loose when we grab hold of Jesus. Now, every Christian must look to Christ. In Hebrews 12, 2 and 3, the last part of our text, plus the, the next verse, it says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So runners are always challenged not to look back or behind them as they begin to hear footsteps. Looking back often costs them a stride. In a foot race, one stride can be the difference between winning and losing. The apostle tells us to keep our eyes and concentration on Jesus. If we look to Christ, we must look away from, from other things. We can't have our vision fixed on our sin or our possessions and on Jesus at the same time. Taking our eyes off Jesus is the same as looking back. So we need to look to Christ as others have. 
There are many examples in Hebrews chapter 11 of how others look to Christ. We should see Abel's commitment to offer a blood sacrifice, Noah's example of uh, perseverance as he looked to and trusted God. Abraham believed God, and he was counted with Christ's righteousness. Moses saw the one who was invisible, and his life immediately was altered. Once these saints saw the Lord through faith, they never looked back. That's a good example for us. Fix your eyes on Christ like the Old Testament saints did and never look back. Look to Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. We are to look to Jesus by faith because our faith came from him. It originates with Jesus. Here's a key if we are to run the Christian race with endurance. We are not only... uh, We not only receive faith initially from Christ, but we receive faith daily from Christ. He is the founder, so he founder means created. He created it, created the faith, and he's the perfecter of faith. Basically, he's making it better. So he made it, and he's continually perfecting it. Perfecting our faith. Faith was originally created by Christ and is distributed to his people. He then is working with us to perfect that faith We should look to him for faith and look to him daily to have our faith perfected. This is that that sanctification process that we often talk about. How is our faith perfected? Well, Jesus works with us through the Holy Spirit and through his scripture. As we run the race of the Christian life, the Holy Spirit supplies the the, uh, the necessary help to run to the finish. In Ephesians... Chapter 3, verses 14 to 19, it says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell... So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So how do we access this spiritual strength? It's not by focusing on the Holy Spirit, but it's focusing on Christ, the one the Spirit glorifies. So look to Christ and imitate his example for endurance. So the second half here of of Hebrews 12, uh, verse 2, it says, Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We look to Christ as the saints of old did. We look to Christ because he is the supplier of everything we need to run the race. He supplies it all, everything. Finally, we look to Christ because in him we find a clear example to imitate. Jesus endured the cross by looking past it to the joy that would follow. He shows us how to endure hardship. When we enter into a difficult season, don't ever think the rest of your life will be as hard as that situation that you are in and you find to be so difficult. By faith, look to the promises of God. So when you're in a difficult season, don't don't dwell on the season you're in and think the rest of your life is going to be just like that. Look to the promises of God. 
look past the hardship and see the kingdom of God. Remember, we're only on this earth for a while, and we're here to get ready for heaven. I mean, we're here to run our race as well as we can, to look to Christ, look to that finish line, run it well. Now, because Jesus endured the cross, we are reconciled to God. Because Jesus didn't quit, but he stayed the course and he ran his race with endurance. Multitudes are blessed because of that. He did that as he looked to the joy of having for himself um, the a promise of the people of God. Jesus looked forward and never looked back. His race led him to the cross. Sometimes we run a race where we're led places to places of struggle. We can always remember there is a Savior named Jesus Christ who endured more pain and heartache than we will ever will. He kept running and finished his course. We too must endure as we run the race set before us. So look to Jesus and look away from all the other things and run. Run hard, run long, listening to the cloud of witnesses cheering and seeing Christ as the finish line. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for everything you've blessed us with. Thank you for the, our ability to be here and to worship uh, and to hear your word. Father, I pray for us and each person in this room that we run the race set before us. We run it well. We know there are going to be hurdles. We know there's going to be strife and pain and heartache. But Lord, help us not to focus on that. Send your spirit to help us focus on Jesus, the one who defeated sin and death. He rose on the third day so that, that, that we may have life through him. He is the only way, and we need to focus at that, on him as the finish line. Father, as we leave today, uh, I pray that you help keep us all safe, uh, that you bless our homes and, and our houses, our families, and that you make us the salt and light to this community so that we can take this message and that more races would begin in this community. Father, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.